Have you ever met one of those Christians that you just really want to be like? You know, one of those people that you're like, man, I just, you're just so drawn to that person. They're so like, it's almost like, what is it about them that makes you want to be like them and be around them? Right, so I don't know who that is for you. Maybe you have someone in mind, someone you've emulated your whole life. Maybe you knew them as a child. It's obvious, you know, as a child, it's a lot easier to be impressed with cool adults, right? Uh, it's a lot harder to impress an adult. <laughs> so maybe you have that person as an adult in your life that you look at and you go, I want to be around that person. They're magnetic. I want to be like that person. I want to act like them and do the things they do. For me, that person was Patrick Gilbert. Now, I call him Patrick Gilbert now, but when I was a kid, I remember writing this. So his son, Jamal, was one of my best friends growing up. Um, so Patrick, I remember we were driving the car once. I was sitting in the back seat. He was driving. Patrick was driving. And I said, hey, Pat. <laughs> he goes, hey, Mark, it's Mr. Gilbert. I was like, oh, sorry. 30 seconds later, hey, Pat. <laughs> he turns around this time. It's Mr. Gilbert. I was like, oh, sorry. He was the kind of guy that demanded respect. And here's the thing. He wasn't one of those guys who didn't earn it as well. Like, when he said that to me, I was like, whoa, yes, Mr. Gilbert. So despite calling him Patrick, I'm going to call him Mr. Gilbert from now on. He's not here to hear it, but just in case, I'm going to call him Mr. Gilbert. Uh, I remember once I called him. Um, this is, I was a pastor at the time, so this is probably like at least 10 years ago. I called him. We were talking on the phone. Um, you got to realize, to me, he was sort of like a second father because I spent so much time with Jamal, his son. We were such good friends. So he had a huge influence on my life. He was a, a basketball coach and a baseball coach for me. In addition to that, he was a strong believer. I called him once, and he's like, he asked me a question about something specifically that was going on in my life. And I said to him, how do you know about that? He goes, the Holy Spirit told me. <laughs> I was like, he does that? <laughs> can I have some of that? He's like, yeah, you can. You know? So like, he's the kind of guy who's so in tune with the Lord, so spirit-filled. He's just, I, I, I went to Jamal's house once when I was about 18 years old. And I remember riding, or was I riding? Yeah, riding my bike over to his house walk up to the front door, knock, and he answers the door. I'm like, is Jamal here? He's like, no, Jamal's gone. He's like, why don't you come on in, though? Sit down at the table. It's the middle of the day in the summer. He's a crane operator in downtown Madison, so he sits, you know, a thousand feet up in the sky on a, on a crane. That's his job. And he's sitting at a kitchen table in the middle of the day, and he's like, well, I took half the day off today, to read my Bible. I was like, you did what? <laughs> like, you took half a day off work to read your Bible? Like, who does that? Who's like, I'm going to spend my vacation time four hours reading the Bible. That's what he wanted to do. And then when I sat down at the table with him, he goes, but now I know why God really wanted me to have the day off. And we had one of the most fruitful conversations I've ever had with an adult in my life. I totally respect the man. I can't help it. Yes, he demands respect, but he also has earned it because I see his life. He's full of life. He's full of Jesus. He loves Jesus. He talks about Jesus. He reads about Jesus. He's full of the Spirit. It's evident in the way he speaks and the things he does. 
What is it about those people that draws us to them? We see their life, their devotion, their attitude, their work and their service to God's kingdom and their faithfulness uh, that is like full of joy and gratitude. And, and we think to ourselves, I want to be like that person. What, what is it that draws us into them? For the Corinthians, that was Stephanus. Stephanus was their immaculately great, mature Christian that they were supposed to follow. And Paul uses Stephanus to set an example for the Corinthians to follow. But what is it about these people that makes us want to emulate them? Is it simply the amount of work they do? Is it that they're popular? What is it that draws our desires toward them so much so that we want to be like them? It's not their work. It's not their service. It's not their popularity. It's Jesus. That's what we see in them. You're seeing Christ in them, and the desire you have to be like them is not that you want to be busy serving and working like they do. Oh, they do all the right things in all the right ways. You know, anyone can just work without even meaning it. Work doesn't mean anything. It's the joy of Jesus in their life and their desire for him that pours out of them in word and in deed that attracts us to them. Christ is the ultimate desire that we're lacking when we see people like that and we want to be like them. So Paul gives us two truths in today's text, verses 15 through 18. The first truth is this, imitate people like that. What Stephanus was doing was serving God. And Paul sets up an example for us in Stephanus and says, imitate him, which means serve like he serves, with maturity. With maturity comes the desire to serve faithfully and joyfully. So it's not just do the work, it's mature so that the desire for the work is a natural product. The second truth that he tells us is to respect those who do that work. So, we're in verse 15. Paul says, Now I urge you, brothers, you know that the household of Stephanus were the first converts in Achaia, and that they have devoted themselves to the service of the saints. So we were first introduced to Stephanus back in chapter 1, verse 16, but we learned nothing about him other than he and his household were baptized by Paul. And, and Stephanus and his household, they were the first people in Achaia that got saved. So Achaia is uh, a Roman province. If you look on a map, it's still there today. It, it's, it's moved. The, the, the area that's considered Achaia has, has changed from what it was. But it's this huge landmass, almost like an island, surrounded almost completely by water. And there's a, a strip of land that attaches it to the rest of Macedonia. But there's a channel that goes through that strip of land. So technically... It's surrounded by, on all ends by water, but it's not an island because it's technically connected by that strip of land, even though there's a, a, a canal that goes through it. And so this large landmass, that's a Roman province, which is Achaia, uh, is the landmass on which Corinth sat. So Corinth sat right in that little strip of land that connected it to Macedonia. So it was heavily traveled as people came in and out from Macedonia to Achaia. And so... Achaia is not its own nation or country. It's more of like a, a, you know, it's a Roman province. It's like a piece of land that's attached to a bigger area. So it would kind of be like saying, so Stephanus, he's the first person in Achaia who gets saved, him and his household. It'd kind of be like being the first person who got saved in the Midwest. 
that gives you an idea of the kind of a comparison. So Stephanus being the first person to, to be saved in Achaia was naturally one of the most mature believers in the Corinthian church. And with his maturity, he sets a very important example for the church, which Paul emphasizes in this text, and this is what they did. They devoted themselves to the service of the saints. So there's a few parts there. They're serving, specifically they're serving the saints, and their service is a devotion. Not mandatory, not robotic, but a desire and a devotion to, to serve God's people. That is the mark of a mature believer. That is the mark of a genuine follower of Jesus. They serve God's people. That's, that's huge. Genuine believers serve Jesus' people. And I'll tell you why. And the short answer is because Jesus cares about them. So should you. All right? And Jesus himself said in Matthew 20, 28, I came not to be served, but to serve. Right? If any human in the history of the world has the right to be served, it's Jesus. Yet he chooses humility and service and to serve the very people he created. How much more then should we serve God's people as we do, as Paul says, which is imitate Christ? Though Paul does not explicitly give us a command here to imitate the service of those who are faithful, mature servants, what he has done throughout the letter is set himself up as an example and has repeated, do as I do. And we see this in Ephesians. He says, imitate God, imitate Christ, and imitate me. And now here in Corinthians, he, throughout the whole book, throughout the whole letter, he sets himself up as the example. And now he takes someone else and says, here's Stephanus. As an example, imitate him, follow him, do as he does. He's an example for you because he's a mature believer whose maturity has produced a desire to serve God's people genuinely with joy. Imitate that and serve as he serves. But not just serve, because anyone can just serve. It's not just do what they do, but it's more importantly, be the way he is, be the way they are. They are They've been believers for a while. They're grown in the grace of God. They're probably teachers in the church and have some form of leadership. They're at least recognized and respected in the church for their longevity and their faithfulness and their maturity and their service. That's the kind of stuff Paul's saying. To be like that. Grow up, mature, and then we will start to see the product of your maturity, which is loving God's people, serving God's people, giving and being attentive and, and using your spiritual gifts and many other things fruits that come from that maturity. So really what Paul's getting to is here, serve is really, it's not a command here, it's, more, it's an encouragement that we serve, but that our serve, serving has a motivation to emulate those who we see doing it. So what is service? And Paul says that Stephanus devoted himself to the service of the saints. Service includes devotion to God's people. Meaning service is not a like rote and mechanical activity that we have to do. Genuine Christian service is not about the activity. It is not about the task. It is not about the work. Genuine Christian service is about the people. Serving is an activity that benefits others. 
That's the drive. That's the goal. So activity is not the point. Loving others through the activity is the point. Stephanus's devotion was not to staying busy with Christian work. He wasn't just a busybody, just you know, running around doing all kinds of work and serving in it. People are like, oh, you're so great. He's like, yeah, I know. Because you can tell when people's motivation, maybe you can't tell right away, but eventually you can, you can start to see when someone's motivation is not to love others, but to get recognition or to be known or to get praised or simply to feel like they've earned God's favor, which is legalism. You can tell when the motivation isn't proper because you can tell eventually it will come to light that they're not motivated by the power of the Holy Spirit or the love of God that God has for his people. So you can tell, maybe not right up front, but eventually it's going to come out. So just serving for the sake of serving is pointless. I could stand up here and tell you, serve, because the Bible says so. Period. That's it. There's a command to serve, so serve. And then here's 20 things you can do to serve, and then you just go do them. And if you do them, then you're good. Then you've obeyed God. But we'll get to this in a minute, that that's not necessarily obedience. Because the point isn't just to do activity. It's not just to perform this action of service. The point is to love others through that activity. So for those of you who are task-oriented, I myself am not task-oriented. My wife, she's A to B, right? Anything between A to B is in the way of B. That's the way my wife is, right? Straight shooter. I am like A to B, but B so far away. There's so many fun people between A and B. We could have coffee and chat, and then Holly's always just like, Mark, let's go, let's go, let's go, right? That's why we drive separately to church. <laughs> so for those of you who are a little more task-oriented, I want you to just think about this. Just slow down. It's not about the task. Serving is about loving God's people through the task. So that's the first truth. Imitate such people who serve, and then imitate them by serving God's people. But then Paul urges us, to respond to people who do this a certain way. And to, and to have a very specific attitude towards people who are serving the church. And it is the attitude of respect. Verse 16. Be subject to these, I'm sorry, be subject to such as these and to every fellow worker and laborer. So he's saying, be subject to everyone and anyone who faithfully serves the church. And that's why he adds and to every fellow worker and laborer. That's every. Not just Stephanus. Who is, he's not the only one who deserves respect. It is everyone who commits themselves to the work of the Lord and the service of the church. But there's something specific here. It's not just those who are doing work. But it's the mature believers. Because, because you can tell the difference between immature service and mature service. It's the heart, it's the devotion, it's the fruit, it's the product of something real and genuine. You can see it in the way they speak and the way they love others, in the kind of services they do. It doesn't mean that if you're not mature, you shouldn't serve. Not at all. Everyone's at a different rate or different level of maturity, and we all have our unique and different ways to serve. But what Paul is doing is, is taking those in the church who are most mature, whose service 
service comes from the best place, whose service comes from a better place than the less mature who are still serving, but still serving faithfully. And what he's saying is, these men and women who, who are mature and close and related so, so closely to Christ in their walk with him, that are so spirit-filled that the Spirit himself is pouring himself out of them through their gifts in the service to the church and have roles that are significant to the church. Those people should be respected. So, we got this kind of question like, is this, you know, like partiality? Oh, well, I'll respect you, but not you. You're not mature enough. This guy's been a Christian for 25 years and loves Jesus and serves the church. He's totally the kind of guy I want to be like. You, I'm better than you. I don't have to respect you. Which is interesting because in Ephesians 5.21, Paul says, Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. So you've got this respect the mature believers who are serving the church faithfully. And then you've got Ephesians 5.21 that says, Submit to every single Christian, period. That includes children. So we got kind of like this, I'd say dilemma, maybe. Respect certain people, but submit to everybody. So like, where do you draw the line? What's, where's the clarity there? This idea that Paul says in verse 16, be subject, literally means to Submit. Right, so that's, that's the same thing Paul says in Ephesians 5.21. Submit to every Christian who faithfully serves the church. Okay, and, and what this means is this is not involuntary submission to everybody. This isn't, I'm going to let every Christian in the world be my authority and tell me everything I have to do and have to do everything they say. That's not what Paul means by submission. He's talking about reverence and respect. And he says to do it in Ephesians 5.21 to submit to every Christian out of reverence for Christ. That's the qualifier. Meaning you don't just submit to everybody because they're a Christian. You submit to everybody in the sense that you respect every Christian because Jesus loves them. You're doing it out of respect and reverence for Christ. Not, not for them. Because we know, if you know the gospel, that person, and yourself included, did not earn the right to be respected. We haven't done anything good. I haven't done anything to earn your respect or, to, or for you to submit to me at all. Other than Jesus, by his grace, took me from my wicked sinfulness and saved me. He chose to love me. And because he loves me, you have to as well. <laughs> I love that. I, I have no problem walking on the church saying, you have to love me. Get over it. You have to love me. And I have to love you. It's my responsibility. It's my call. And it shouldn't be a duty. It should be a joy. Because if you love Jesus, you will have reverence for Jesus. And your love for Jesus will turn into love for others. Because that's who Jesus loves. Right? So that is the motivation behind, behind this idea of submitting to one another. It's not just, all right, I'm going to be, I'm gonna just be an errand boy and just cower to everybody and then I'm just do what everyone says. That's not the point. It doesn't mean you can't have your own mind or make your own decisions or have difficult conversations. It's about revering Christ in others. And in order to feel that way or to think that way, you have to revere Christ. And that's what Paul's getting to. And if we do, Jesus in us will produce the appropriate kind of respect and submission and reverence for others out of reverence for him. And that these people in the church who were serving, 
They were serving out of maturity. That's, that's where this was coming. These people that Paul's saying, respect these people specifically. He's not telling us not to respect the less mature or not to respect other Christians. He's just taking a small group of people and saying, these people who have been Christians for a long time, who have, were saved by Jesus, have committed their life to the church, serve faithfully every week, all the time, giving up their time and their life and their money and their effort and their energy and their children and their jobs to serve God's kingdom. Those people deserve respect. And, and, and Paul isn't diminishing the respect or submission that is due to others He's just making sure we recognize people who have earned it. And so these people who are serving, they're not doing it out of duty. Because if it was just a, a rote mechanical function that they were doing, Paul would see it and go, that's not what we're looking for. He's talking about people who are mature enough that in their maturity they have recognized who Jesus is. They love Jesus. They see Jesus' work. They imitate Jesus' service and work. They want to be like Jesus, and Christ himself pours out of them in their service and pours out of them in joy, and they love to serve the church. I was talking to a guy in our church two weeks ago, a week ago. He's like, man, I just love our church family. And I was like, it shows. You're here every single day, all the time. Everything we do, you're always here. You're serving. He's totally involved. I'm just like, I love and respect this guy because of what he's doing. Like, that, that is a genuine joy and satisfaction in God's people and in God's work. Not just, oh, i got to be there for this. Oh, i got to show up for that. Do I have to be there? Do, you know, it's not that kind of attitude. It's a desire and a joy. That's what we're looking for. So Paul's encouragement that we be subject or submit to those who serve the Lord is really about recognizing the maturity of believers in the church who set the proper example of Christ-likeness. That's where Paul's going with this. Elevate those who look most like Jesus with your respect so that the rest of the church elevates them as well. If we take the most mature, faithful, God-loving, Christ-centered joy-serving people in the church, and we, we don't elevate them for the sake of their glory or their name, but we elevate them and respect them in a sense, then what we do is we set up for the rest of the congregation an example. Say, be like this person. That is the kind of heart and attitude and mind and desire and passion and love for Jesus that infiltrates the whole church and pours out of you and into other people. That's the kind of person we want all of you to be like. Now, I couldn't name names right now and just throw out some names. Say, like this guy or that lady in our church. But then I haven't asked anybody and I'm afraid they'd yell at me later for bringing up their name. So I'm not going to say any names. Okay, but it is time for us to recognize not the people, I mean, I'm sorry, to, to recognize the people, but recognize and respect them out of reverence for Christ. So I have no problem going around saying, hey, you know, this guy does this. Why don't you talk to him? This lady does this. Why don't you talk to her? Why don't you be like her? Why don't you be like him? I have no problem saying that. You might look at that and go, well, you're elevating people over Jesus. Not if that person is a genuinely mature, joy-filled, Jesus-loving, Christ-serving, kingdom-building Christian. 
No one's going to look at that and say, oh, you're just elevating people. And be like, I'm elevating Christ who is clearly seen in that person. And we're due, they are due the respect. We all owe them that respect. Listen to 1 Thessalonians 5.12. We ask you, brothers, to respect those who labor among you. Those who labor among you are the leaders, they're the mature, they're the seasoned believers who've walked with Jesus for many years. And their walk with Jesus has turned into Christ-likeness and faithfulness to his cause in, in which they, they serve God's people. So serving God's people is the product of that faithfulness to Jesus and that growth in Christ-likeness and the maturity they get in him. And those who set that example for us deserve our respect. Verse 17 through 18. I rejoice... At the coming of Stephanas and Fortunatus and Achaicus, because they have made up for your absence, for they have refreshed my spirit as well as yours. Listen, this is the command. This is the only command in this text. Give recognition to such men. Now, Stephanas, Fortunatus, and Achaicus traveled to Ephesus, where Paul was, and they, and they, and they reported to Paul what's going on in Corinth, and then Paul writes a letter back to the Corinthians. So Paul wrote in an early letter that we don't have. okay? And it's probably a pretty strict letter because he calls it his more intense letter. And then the Corinthians have questions. And, and we see those questions answered in text where Paul says, like back in verse 12, now concerning, that means Paul's answering a question that they had asked in response to his first letter. And they also had challenges for him. So Paul kind of fires back with some answers, and that's why there's a lot of logistics in 1 Corinthians. So... Stephanus and Fortunatus and Achaicus, they bring these, these concerns to Paul, this response from the Corinthians. Paul writes a letter back to the Corinthians, and that response that Paul writes is this letter, 1 Corinthians. And Stephanus and Fortunatus and Achaicus, I practiced these names for about three days just so I could say them right. <laughs> Not easy. They took these letters, or they took this letter from Paul and brought it back to the Corinthians. And then that's how, that, that was... One of the ways in which Paul looks at these men and goes, look at their service. I mean, they gave up their job for, I don't know how long they visited Paul, probably at least weeks, if not months. It was enough for Paul's spirit to be refreshed, and it was enough for their presence with Paul to make up for his absence with the Corinthians. Meaning, they represented the entire Corinthian church so well in Paul's presence that Paul was like, they're good enough for me to have you. Like, I don't need to be with you, Corinthians, right now because having these three men is sufficient to fill the void that I have by not seeing you. They're a picture of Jesus. That's exactly what Jesus is to the church. Jesus is the fullness of God, right? Colossians 1.19, For the fullness of God was pleased to dwell in him, meaning all that the Father is we find in Jesus Christ. Meaning when we have Christ... We don't go, eh, you're good, but like, can I have all three of you? Because I need more. I, I kind of want the big dog. I want the boss. I want the dad. Jesus, you're just a brother. You're just a son. Not at all. That's not how God sees Jesus. He is fully, fully God. There is nothing of the Father that we miss with Christ. And so in Christ's presence, we get the fullness and full satisfaction of the Father himself in that man. And that is what Stephanus and Fortunatus and Achaicus provide for Paul. 
That's what Paul's saying. These men are so mature and so faithful and they love Jesus so much and they love you guys so much and they love the church so much and they love serving so much. It's so genuine and real. It's really the product of genuine faithfulness to God and love for Jesus so much so that their presence alone makes me feel like I'm with the whole church. That's why, he's, that's why he says, give recognition to such men. It's not just men, obviously. It's people. That's why, you know, back in verse 16, Paul says to every fellow worker and laborer, not just men, not just males, but anybody who serves this way deserves respect. You know who specifically? We probably, okay, just think about it. When you think about the people who serve in this church, just think. Who are they? Just think in your head, quietly, don't say it out loud, just think. Some people that you know that serve in the church. Got some names, some ideas, some faces, okay? How many of those names and faces are children? We're probably, probably most of you thought of adults, right? Do you realize, realize how many kids serve this church faithfully? For a year, for a while, they were making the coffee. Now we got a little Keurig, so like, you know, you can make your own coffee now, right? But I mean, they do all kinds of things. They, they clean the sanctuary. I was here the other day, uh, a couple weeks ago, it was like a Saturday, and there was a family here, and they had a couple kids, and the kids came up to me, and they said, what can we do to help? I was like, what? Uh, take these rollers and clean off the sanctuary chairs. And they're like, okay. And they're like, oh, happy to do it. And I'm like, you guys are the best. These kids help with children's ministry. The older kids help serve with the children. Is because of them we have lights for the music and for the for the service. They they there are so many kids that serve in so many ways in this church. They deserve our respect too. Because what will happen is if we don't give children, <laughs> if we don't give children the respect, or at least the recognition that they have earned by serving Jesus faithfully, you know what's going to happen to them? They're going to become dis disenfranchised with the church. They're just going to go, you know, I gave like my entire childhood to church, right? My parents took me to church every Sunday and every Wednesday. And, you know, if you're one of those families that's here for extra ministries, you know, it was every Sunday and Tuesday and Wednesday and Thursday and Saturday and Sunday. And, you know, it's all, all the time. I gave all my hours and life and time to the church. And what did I get back? I got yelled at for running. I got yelled at for having, leaving my garbage on the floor. I never picked up after myself. I'd run into chairs, they'd all get disorganized. I got yelled at for leaving toys out. I mean, that's, that's gonna be their, remember, you know, that's, that's gonna be their memory and they're gonna go, what, what does the church do for me? So I'm, I'm calling us to respect everyone who serves. That's everyone. Paul gives no qualifier for who to respect other than they are servants. There is no age qualification, gender qualification, or social status that makes a difference in giving respect to those, or at least recognition to those who serve, including children. <laughs> From the mouth of babes. So, let's at least, you know, I'm not telling you guys to run up and go, you know, oh, cool kids, yeah, you know, whatever. Let's just, let's make sure kids recognize that we appreciate them. Kids, we recognize and appreciate all that you guys do. Okay. Adults, same goes for you. Recognized and appreciated. 
And it's time that we start showing that respect to each other and that recognition for each other. So I'm going to ask you a question, and it's a tough question. And my hope in this question is that it elevates your respect for everyone who's serving the church. Do you treat everyone as you would treat Jesus? Do you treat everyone as you would treat Jesus? Now, the answer for every single one of us in this room, the answer for every Christian to this question is yes. No Christian can answer no to this question. Do you treat others the way you would treat Jesus? If you're a Christian, your answer is yes, period. There's no way around it. You can't answer no. If you answer no, you're wrong. The answer is yes. You treat others the way you would treat Jesus, and I'll tell you why. How you treat others is a reflection of your relationship with Jesus. What you think of Jesus, how you relate to Jesus, how you love Jesus and serve Jesus and talk to Jesus and care about Jesus will be directly reflected in how you treat his people. Meaning, if you treat people without respect and without reverence and without submission and without service, that is because you do not respect or serve or submit to or have reverence for or serve Jesus. Your relationship with Jesus will be clearly reflected in how you treat his people. If you love others and serve them and submit to them and respect them, that is because you love and serve and submit to and respect Jesus. And your feelings and attitude toward Jesus motivates you to treat those whom he loves the same way. So, you can't get away from this reality. How you treat others is exactly how you would treat Jesus because how you treat others is how you are treating Jesus. If you treat others like garbage, you're treating Jesus like garbage because Jesus says, I love them, they're mine, treat them as I would treat them. So to disrespect people that are his is to disrespect not only his opinion of them, not only his sovereign choice to love them and save them, but also just to straight up disrespect him because those people are his and represent him. So how you treat others is exactly how you treat Jesus. I'll give you a couple examples of how this works out, how this Concern, care, and relationship to the church is related to your relationship with Jesus. I'll give you three things. Um, if you don't care, I'm sorry, if, if, example number one, if you don't go to church, you don't care about Jesus. I mean, because Jesus went to church and commands us to go to church, and Jesus wants us to go to church so we can learn from his word, so we can worship corporately and serve his people so that those people are equipped to build his kingdom and do his ministry. Example number two, if you don't give, you don't care about Jesus. Why? Because Jesus gave more than any person in history. He gave us his life, and he tells us to imitate him and to be givers as well. And Jesus commands us to give so that we would not only bless the church with the resources needed to build the kingdom, but also that we would be blessed as givers and be like him. 
And example number three, if you don't serve, you don't care about Jesus because Jesus served and he was above all people worthy of being served and he commanded us to serve so that we would bless others, love others, and that it would be a means for which we could avoid the selfish thinking by sacrificing our time and effort for the sake of others just as he did. So maybe it's time for some of us to start caring about Jesus. Listen, God wants you to grow. I know he does because he says he will make you grow and he desires your growth. Philippians 2, 12 through 13. And you will grow. He'll make you grow. He'll make sure of it through the work of the Holy Spirit. That's the Spirit's work. That's God's work. He's going to sanctify you. But we also have a role in this growth. Now, I could, I could command you to serve. And your, your, your role in this growth, one of your roles is serving. And I could command you to serve. And, and, and I could tell you that you have to serve as an expression of your faithfulness to Jesus. And you need to desire to imitate him. So, serve, and this is how you serve. I could do that. And it wouldn't be wrong because the Bible commands service. But if you aren't motivated by your love for Christ, which produces love for his people, then serving is pointless. Do you hear that? If you aren't motivated by your love for Christ, which produces love for his people, then serving is pointless. In fact, serving in that situation is straight up disobedience. Serving for the wrong reasons is not obedience. It is disobedience. Israel served the Lord in duty. They did what he asked. They did. They, they followed the rules. And you could take the Bible and look at the rules and say, oh, it tells me to serve, so I'm going to serve. And then just go do a bunch of work and say, I've obeyed God. I've done what I've been commanded to do. I'm good. And God says, still disobedience. Why? Because it lacks something very important. Desire. It lacks desire. You must desire to serve. You must have joy in service. You must be glad to serve. There has to be a desire first in order for it to be obedience. Deuteronomy 28, 47. Israel had served the Lord in duty, but not with joy. And this is what God says. Because you did not serve the Lord your God with joyfulness and gladness of heart, you shall serve your enemies whom the Lord will send against you. He punishes them for doing what he said, but not doing it with the desire to do it. Meaning, all your actions that you do that is obedient to the words I said, what you're doing is you're following the law, but not the heart of the law. You're, you're doing what I say, but you're not doing it the way I want you to do it. It's like, you know, asking your children to do a chore, and they're like, ah, you know, and they take the garbage out and they stomp their way out to the garbage can you know it's like that's disobedience straight up that doesn't please me at all as a as a parent they're not happy i'm not happy nobody wins all you did was take the trash out i'd rather have a joyful servant of a child and have a full trash can than have a whiny child in an empty trash can right Parents, I'm sure you would agree to a certain extent. Someone's got to take that trash out eventually. <laughs> the point is that God doesn't just demand activity. He demands the desire. 
And he wants you to have that desire. And it comes from first loving Christ and growing in him. And this is a great example of what the Lord said in 1 Samuel 16, 7. For the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. You can walk through the motions all you want. You can serve the church day in and day out. You could do all kinds of activities. You could be on the worship team and children's ministry and be a deacon or an elder or on the project building project team or, or all the prayer team or you could be at all these different ministries we have for you and your kids or whatever. You could be super involved. God knows what your heart is. He can see your heart. You could walk through the motions. You could show up at every workday and do the duty. But if your desire is not to serve his kingdom, if your desire is not, this is an activity that I love to do in joy for the sake of God's people whom I love because I love Jesus and Jesus loves them. If that doesn't drive your joy and desire to serve, then Jesus looks at you and says, that's disobedience. Now, that's hard. Because there are times when you have to do what you don't want to do, right? It just happens. It's life. Sometimes you don't want to do something, and it's got to get done. So there is this sense in which I sometimes counsel people to, you may not want to do it, but let's just do it anyways to develop the habit and pray while we're doing it that through the development of the habit comes the desire. That as you're doing it, God will grow that desire. And at least underneath that is this tiny little flame of passion that this person at least wants desire, even though it's not there. And that's why James says, fan into flames that passion for the Lord, that truth which you first heard. So it is desire to serve that God wants to see in us, not just fulfilling actions, but a joy and a passion for God and his people. Okay, so let's say you're like, okay, Pastor Mark, you've convinced me. I want to serve. So what do I do? How do I serve? You don't need me to answer that. That's not my job to tell you what to do. That's something you need to discover on your own as you spend time with God, that you would be like Mr. Gilbert and just say, this is what you need to do, or how are you doing in regards to this? And people say, how do you know that? And you say, the Holy Spirit told me. Better be the real Holy Spirit. Don't go around saying that if you don't know it. That's a dangerous game. What I'm telling you is, you don't need me to tell you what to do. If you are growing in your sanctification, your spiritual growth with Jesus as you pray and read, he'll show you whether you should be helping a kid town or whether you should be leading a Bible study or a prayer group or whether you should be cleaning the church or mowing the church lawn or helping with building projects or whether you should be praying with people or making meals or visiting the sick or visiting the old people or, or uh, caring for the widows or being a deacon or an elder. If you spend time with Jesus in his word, in prayer, growing and developing and spiritual growth and sanctification in him and your relationship with him strengthens and matures and you love him deeper and more, you're going to be filled with the Spirit and the Spirit is going to show you where you should be serving. The Spirit's going to say, hey, there's so much of me in you, you have to let it out somewhere else. You got, we got to pour it into something. You don't get to just keep me to yourself. 
My responsibility as the Holy Spirit is to fill you, flood you, and flourish in the church. So if you are led by the Spirit to know how to serve and what to do, it will become evident to you. So I'm not going to tell you what to do. I'm going to trust the Holy Spirit to work in you. And it's going to require for you attending church because you need to know what the church is. You need to be around God's people. You need to love God's people. You need to worship with God's people. You need to fellowship with God's people. You need to pray with God's people. You need to give with God's people. You need to talk to God's people. You need to be around and do things with God's people. You have to be a part of his people. You can't serve God's people if you're not with God's people. you got to be at church. And not only that, but we're commanded to be at church, Hebrews 10, 24 and 25. And not only that, but how, this is one of the primary ways that God presents you with an opportunity to learn his word. So, being at church, that's how you grow. Worshiping him. That's one of the things we do at church. And it happens outside of church as well. And giving, praying, reading, studying his word. Those are ways that we grow. And as we grow, we are filled with the spirit. As we love him, he fills us with his spirit. And then we, the spirit tells us where we should serve. And you just ask him, what do you want me to do, Jesus? Where do you want me to go? What should I be doing in this church? What should I be doing in the community? How should I be serving the, your kingdom? What is my role? And maybe he says, I need you to start this ministry. And then he says, or he says, no, I need you to be involved in this ministry. Or, hey, I just want you to pray for these people. Hey, I just want you to pray that men would rise up in the church as leaders, strong leaders, to take on the biblical mantle of leading God's people. That's what we need prayer for. Or that you would pray for women specifically, that they would be humble, loving, faithful servants to their family, their husbands, and their church. Or maybe just praying for the children, that God would bless the children with the gospel, that they would learn and grow and love and set an example for other kids. Or whatever it is. Maybe he's giving you that, that, that command. Maybe that's your service, to pray. It, it could be anything. And I'm not going to tell you what it is, because you have to hear what the Spirit tells you is your role in this church. And here's the thing. I want you to let me know. Because here's, this is the reality. If you are genuinely growing in Christ and the Spirit is telling you that this is your thing, this is the thing you're supposed to do, if you're in the Spirit and the elders are in the Spirit and we're both praying the same prayer for you, which we do for all of you, then those ideas will converge. And when you come to us and say, I'm supposed to do we're going to be able to fill in the blank. I'm supposed to serve a kid town. Exactly. How'd you know? Holy Spirit told me. That's the kind of faith and growth and maturity that, that we want in this church. The people are, are serving because they're like, I'm spending so much time with Jesus. I'm so deeply in love with him. And, and because I love Jesus, I love his people and because I love his people, I just want to pour his love into them. And I don't know how to do it, so Spirit, tell me. I'm not promoting some mystical, like, oh, the Holy Spirit was speaking to me audibly and none of that stuff. I'm just, he's going to lead you and guide you to exactly where you need to be. And when you do, know, let me know. And if we're both in the Spirit, then you can start serving God's people in love. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for the goodness of your grace in Jesus Christ. And we pray that you would bless your people. 
give them a desire and a passion to grow in you, to respect those who serve, and to serve like those who serve. But that is how we will build your kingdom. Do that work. We pray this in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen.